Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Flat, flat, flat. Flat, flat, flat. <laughs> I was thinking Jimmy Neutron is too bad. I was too. Uh, Leave, leaving that in. All right. Hey, Chris <laughs> Manning here from Lockdown Cavs. Evan Damrell's with me as always. We also have our friend of the program, Mark Schindler from Indie Cornrows, also from Fear the Sword. Mark, what's up, buddy? Uh, I'm good. That We certainly watched a basketball game. Um, things happened. I, I don't know if they were good or bad. Guys, I guess it kind of depends on uh, which vantage point you're looking from. If you're just looking from an observational viewpoint, I think it was just bad all around, but uh, it, it was a game, and there were, there were some cool things that happened in it. Yeah, no, it certainly was a game. I was I was waiting for Chris to take the uh, take the lead there, but um, you pointed this out for sure. Making Jeremiah Martin play actual fifteen minutes of play, finish the night with three points on one of six shooting, um, was certainly something for Cleveland. Um, I think Keelan Martin is now the new boogeyman for the Cavs this time he around. Scored as many points tonight as he has in. His- the entire month of May leading up to tonight. So in six games, he'd scored 25 points and he can 25 tonight. So if that's not indicative of uh, where we're at with the last two weeks of the season, I'm not really sure where else we're at, but you know, that's totally fair. It was uh, really cool to see him get his, get, get his flowers tonight and play. Cause he's had a pretty inconsistent role. Yeah. Well, it's, it's better than TJ McCoddle uh, almost getting a triple double in the first half. So it's certainly <laughs> something right. Facts. Facts, 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 facts. Okay, so this game was weird. I think both teams ultimately just got what they wanted out of it, right? Like the Pacers get a win. I wanted to smoke a cigarette after the third quarter (laughs) because that was so much happening at once. And then uh, the Cavs lose, which is good for their lottery odds. Hell yeah, brother. And they knocked the Raptors out of the playoffs. It's just, you know, something about that. There's something about the Cavs wearing black. And knocking Toronto out of the playoffs. You know what I'm saying, Chris? I, can I, get, I, I, can I get a fist do. bump and a cupcake, brother? Hell yeah. <laughs> so the, just as before we dive into this game, um, and the structure of this podcast is going to be, we're talking about Cavs Pacers. Mark's going to take over segment two in case you're listening on the new corner feed. And you're like, who, who's this jackass talk, talking on my podcast? His um, name is Chris Manning. You can find him his, at CWM rights on uh, Twitter. It's actually at Cavs Canada. Thank you very much. Direct all your complaints <laughs> there. Um, and yeah. then uh, he does a little freelance work for Outkick, you know. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. Evan, well, that's Evan, it. The pot is Evan, over. Evan just crossing the lines as <laughs> usual. Um, but as we're recording, and then third segment, we'll talk about some Cavs things and sort of the similarities between here. But as we're recording this, um, in terms of lottery odds, the Cavs are four and a half games back of the Houston Rockets. Um, for the worst record, they have the same record as the Oklahoma City Thunder at 21 and 48. And then the, the they're a game back of the Detroit Pistons, uh, who are 20 and 49. Neither Detroit uh, or Oklahoma City played on Monday night. And the Houston Rockets have, as we're recording, just tipped off against the Portland Trailblazers. So, guys, MVP, uh, Mark. Who's your MVP? You, you're obviously maybe you'll pick a Pacers person, I would assume, but who, who's your MVP from this game? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I guess it's probably Karis LeVert. He, th- there were a lot of players who played well. I actually thought, I mean, Domas, it's it's tough to not say that it's Domas. He had 21, 20, and 9, but I actually felt like the Pacers uh, 
ran a lot through Karras because Cleveland did a really good job of, of trying to take away a lot from Domas. I mean, you could see how much they were um, honing in on him in the paint and a lot of what happened with the Pacers ran through Karras. Uh, I mean, it, it was very much so like just Karras and Domas doing the heavy lifting um, and then Keelan Martin to close, uh, as Evan pointed out before we got on here. Um, so I think I would go Karras, but I'd also just say from my own standpoint, Isaac Okoro, because I don't know how you guys have felt. I, haven't, I actually haven't asked you guys about this, but over the last stretch, like the last probably two weeks, he's really started to do a lot more with the ball in his hands, and especially in the drive game. And that's been really impressive. He had some awesome finishes tonight, uh, both out of the pick and roll and just off catch, uh, catch and drives. And I was really impressed, and I continue to be really impressed with him. And he took eight threes. So it's uh, wins all around, man. I was, I was pretty happy with tonight. Yeah, no, I think uh, Isaac was super impressive, and before Chris can pick him, he's my MVP pick tonight for Cleveland. I'm still Colin Sexton. Oh yeah, we're not going to talk about Colin Sexton. No, Colin Sexton (laughs) is great. Uh, 25 points uh, on an efficient 7 of 26 shooting. For those listening at home, he was 10 of 12 from the line, so that's pretty great. Eight dimes. Give him credit where credit's due for that. Sexton deserves his flowers. but no, Isaac was just super duper impressive tonight. And I'll talk about my play and what made him so impressive. But it was just a lot of things. Um, in the first half, he didn't really have a huge offensive output scoring wise, but he was making an impact in terms of just his playmaking. And it's a uh, it's it's really fun to watch him just work as a tertiary playmaker. And maybe he's found a little bit of a niche and a groove with the Cavs. Hopefully, it's not requiring him to play 42 minutes a night or like he has in some of these last few games. But no, this was a really good game for Isaac, a double-double, and it was a lot of fun. Chris, who's your MVP pick? I, I, I'm i just going to go Okora as well because... I'm not going to go Dean Wade? No. no. Cop out. I, look, Dean Wade had a solid enough game. Not going to go Fiondu Cabangale, who had nine points, four I, I, assists. I, I put you down hard rebounds, when, you, when, you te- when you texted me about him while we I just I game. just ignored it and kept on keeping on, so... Can I just say I don't he will he won't I don't think he'll be listening to this because he has better things to do at this time. But Lucas Hahn, every time he he told him that there he still gets a Kagan Bailey like fans tweeting at him every time Kagan Bailey has a good game. Like they're just like incessant that he's like a really, really good NBA player and that Lucas is just like wrong. And uh Lucas who runs two and three hoops and 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 is a very good clipper to follow where Kagan Bailey came from. So uh tough. So <laughs> so Cobbin Gale is uh the Colin Sexton of Clippers fans, except he's, Colin oh, Sexton's good. It's, it's like uh like what's below Dollar General? Is there anything like the Dollar Tree? The stuff you pull out of the dumpster? I don't know. Like it, yeah, that's it's a bad vibe. But look, Okora had one. Oh, R.I.P. Kmart. Um, one of the things about Okora that I just think is like if if it hits next year is if the handles like five percent tighter. There's just stuff that is going to be really really there for him, and I think that's really interesting. like he's becoming pretty comfortable. Um, driving, he's becoming very comfortable. I think like putting his shoulder into guys and using his strength. And if he just figures out where his handle is, just going to be a little tighter and uh, unlock some stuff. I think like the three point shot, I think is already kind of looking cleaner. Like the form looks much better um, than it did even on tape and stuff. But I, I think that the, sh- the, the, the handle is going to be the thing I'm, I'm all in on the handle being kind of the thing. Um, stat of the night. Mine's Colin Sexton taking 12 free throws. Like, I just want to claim that because that's awesome. And that's really what you want to, I think that's like such a key thing for Colin um, is, is being a guy that he's not obviously going to take 12 a night. Um, I'm, I, I would assume, but like if he can get ramp that up and become a guy that can take a lot of free throws, become uh, a extremely 
potent player in that regard and like make them at a above like the 84, 85% clip he's made them for his career. I, that's just like a, Oh, another way he can level up in, in maybe something we haven't talked about enough, or at least I haven't. So this one's easy for me. Um, Keelan Martin was 0.2% from 69% shooting from the floor. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he had 25 points, which I believe that's a career high in the NBA. Um, just had a really, really good all around game. So that, that's my stat of the night. Um, I that that's a great stat, and you know, so. like this you is said, a very keep, nice keep, stat, keep, very nice indeed. But Jer- my my stat of the night, it, it's funny because it came on a three pointer. But Jared Allen reached three thousand career points tonight when he hit a three pointer against Indiana with about I think five twenty five off the top of my head to go in the first quarter. So just a neat stat, neat shout out for Jared. He's kind of had an up and down past few weeks so just for him to have a big moment like that it's, it's pretty nice and hopefully he's with the Cavs long term to continue to add to those uh statistical outputs all right play of the night Evan you have one that I know you you've you lamed you staked your kind of whole rep on this pod about it what is it um well I said thar be my play of the night it's talking <laughs> like a pirate when I texted you that but I'm actually changing it it's when Isaac Okoro hit that step back three over Aaron Holiday that was pretty slick I don't know it was just it, it's refreshing to see Isaac be really confident taking shots from the perimeter considering how far he's come from the beginning of his rookie season when it took the entire coaching staff and the better part of the roster to implore him to take threes I just want Isaac to be a little bit more selfish and yeah he made it but like like Mark pointed out, Isaac Okoro was also three of eight from three for the night. Like I wanted to be a little more selfish, and he has a little flourish to it. It makes it even more fun. Mark, what is yours? Um, I'm not gonna lie. I'm still choosing Mike. You go first. Yeah. So here here here's my Dean Wade shout out. Dean Wade third quarter three like three thirty to go in the quarter. There's a loose ball that just careens. Um, I don't even think the ball hit the rim. And the ball ends up at his feet. And there's like two seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, because Okoro got blocked. And Dean Wade catches like no no hesitation, no like no qualms about shooting from like three feet behind the arc and buries a three. This is how he got his first ever triple double or double double. Excuse me. He's not gotten into the he, excuse Russell. Excuse me. Did I miss something? Uh, here? Yeah, it was R- like, Russell, Russell he, Dean Wade is actually coming for Russell, Russell Westbrook. That's coming up next on our uh, schlock radio show. But no, like this was just like Dean Wade, just doing Dean Wade things in terms of just launching three pointers. And uh, you love to see it. Yeah, it's a good pick. Yeah, I think mine would probably be uh, was right around two minutes and 30 seconds left in the third quarter. I had to go back through my notes because I wasn't remembering exactly where it was at. Uh, Karis LeVert had just a beautiful driving kick, totally collapsed the defense. I'm pretty sure that uh, the shot was missed, but regardless, it's been huge for him. He's really opened up a lot uh, in terms of just getting to the rim more. Uh, I mean, he still takes a lot of those short mid-range pull-ups, but just the, the way that he's collapsed defenses and been able to capitalize on it has been huge. Caitlin Cooper, who's, of course, you guys know, like one of the best writers in the NBA. I have the great fortune of working with her. She wrote about his reads and, and how he's progressed on those since he's been in Indiana. And it continues to be something really impactful. I mean, he had, again, 10 assists tonight. It's uh, assist numbers aren't everything, but it's routinely been a thing with him. So that, that was probably my play for me. Guys, this was pretty good late season basketball, all things considered. 
Yeah, it really was. Um, I uh, I said this is a game uh, that the doctor ordered for the Cavs. They were competitive until the very end, but they're still in the catbird seat for the draft lottery and you know possibly getting a top pick, at least in the top four. Uh, they have a 50.3% chance right now in order for that to happen. But um, yeah, no, this is this was this was good. It's still weird to think that the Cavs were nipping at Chicago's heels like a couple weeks ago for that playing spot. Now they've cratered all the way back down to earth. But it, it's been a weird stretch, but it's been fun to see the end results. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, like there were like little things that you can pick out, even though we were like joking at the beginning. I think I uh, I always try and be pretty optimistic in looking at uh, every game for every team. And, uh, you know, I think there are always little things to find. Like I love Broderick Thomas's minutes tonight. I know he, he played this a is, lot, but this is like the best he looked. He had a little sauce on like a, a wraparound assist in the fourth. Yeah. Like, like he, sh- he shows real ball handling chops. He got to the rim, uh, obviously missed all of his threes, but I, I like his defense too. Um, I, I- I've liked him. I, I don't know if he's going to be around next year or anything, but, uh, you regardless, I think he, sh- he showed he's like an NBA player. Um, well, contrary to what Joe Varden thinks, the Cavs actually know what they're doing when it comes to developing G League prospects and other rotation players. But hey, whatever. Well, explicitly, like that Anderson Verja didn't keep <clears throat> the Cavs from like signing those kinds of players. They, yeah, like dog. It just takes like thirty seconds to scroll through Cleveland's rotation right now with how banged up they are and realize they're playing the majority of G League and two way players that have been converted. Like the Athletic could pay me way less to do a little bit more research. I mean, my take. take. I, I will take Jovar. But that's why salary. I am paid by Fear the Sword. And uh and Tegna. And also Tegna. worth noting too, uh the Cavs took 39 threes tonight, which has got to be close to a season high, right? That feel that feels like they've it been is, shooting but... like it feels like I mean like barely 20 a game the whole year. So it only takes half the roster being out, but it's yeah. something. <laughs> Mark ne- Mark, next up we're gonna see some second side action. Oh wow, that's uh, that's uh, I think that's a little too far. We're we're we're, I mean, we're almost seventy games in the season. And it hasn't happened once yet, so I'm not sure that it's going to happen now. But you know, a guy can hope. Um, uh, do we want to talk some Pacers now? Yeah, no, I, it, I, it's I'm yeah, sure. it take over. Pull a pull like a a Karis Levert. You know, just run in some ISO. Talk or, sloppy I'll like Colin Sexton's playmaking. We got you, Mark. Go I ahead. do like. Okay, I think the. I'm not even going to get into the section. It's not, I can't, I can't do it tonight. I'm going to, now that I'm done. I'm I just finished, doing it. Cause you're here. I'm usually know, not this I know, fiery. I just love Sexton. He's like, he's, he's there's, there's oh, just I nothing to love about fun, fun as heck. Yeah. Mark, I'm going to just ask before we get into the paper, I'm just going to ask you this now. Like I, and I don't want to, I, I tell Evan this and I explicitly say, Evan, I want a yes or no answer. And then he doesn't give me a yes or no answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Contrary to like what our banter online is. I truly like Evan, you're the best. Just want to make sure you know that publicly. I'm saying that publicly. <sighs> yeah. Tell it to my followers. <laughs> anyway. All right. So yeah. Sexton's max five years, 167.9 over four, 129.7. Would you give him that max contract? Either one of those max contracts? No. Okay, moving on. I Let's think, talk about the Pacers. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, no, I think no, right no, now. I was no. just going to give a number. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. We, we, so, we will have you back on for the Sexton Wars because this will be a thing we talk about. And and okay. uh, and, and, and some of the stuff, if you're the sword we're going to be doing, is it going to be talking about this Colin Sexton thing? Because, guys, it's almost the offseason for us, and uh, we're excited. But All right, let's talk about the Pacers. All right, yeah. Um, 
So I'm going to lead off with a couple of things, but then I also want you guys to ask me questions because believe it or not, crazy shit happened in Indiana this last week, if you weren't aware. Um, I mean, I, I thought the biggest thing where, where I was coming from tonight, this is not me trying to be like, oh, what was me covering a team? Like, it's, it's awesome. I love doing it. It's just, it's so murky at the end of this year because um, I just don't know what to take away from some of these. Uh, like Aaron Holiday didn't have a good game. Um, Edmund Sumner didn't really have a good game either. He didn't even play that much. O'Shea Brissett has kind of quietly not been as good since he signed his deal. I'm not saying that that's because he signed a deal, but I think, I mean, he expended a ton of energy playing those, the, that, that stretch of games uh, and things have just, you know, fallen back down to earth for him a little bit. Um, so there isn't really a lot to take away from, from some of the younger guys. Um, and they're also just trying to grind out wins playing Domas and Karras 37, 38 minutes. Um, I just don't like, and given the state of everything going on, like I just, I, I, I kind of come away scratching my head and just not really sure how I'm even supposed to analyze what I'm looking at. Like go even then. Yeah. Like Gogo Batazzi had probably his worst game of the year. Um, just, it was, it was a weird game developmentally. Like obviously a win is a win. Um, I don't, I, I, it, but just in like looking at what's best for the team overall, like, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously you want them to string together wins and, um, try and find their way. But again, it's just really tough because in looking at where everything is with the organization right now, I'm just not sure what that means because, well, he's probably not going to get fired um, in season. I, I mean, I would be, I'll, I'll have some serious questions if Nate Bjorker isn't fired um, as soon as the season ends, frankly, given everything that's come out and stuff that's come up behind the scenes as well. So um, that's a quite a lead off for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what questions do you guys have off of that? Because that is state of the Pacers pretty much. Do you, as a fan and someone who analyzes this team on a day-to-day basis, do you think the team regrets letting Nate McMillan go at this point? I mean, like the um, offense was vanilla to stale vanilla under him, but at least they were more competitive than they were under Bjorker and he had the respect in the locker room. Yeah, um, I mean, see, what I've thought about it with Nate, like part of the issue – is that he had kind of lost the locker room. Uh, like his voice had fallen on deaf ears. Um, and that that's, I mean, as, as we're seeing right now with Nate Bjorken, that clearly is not something that flies or works. Um, I mean, as you guys noticed with, with John Beeline last year, that's just not something that you can condone or keep going with as an organization. Um, I think Nate McMillan is a fantastic coach. I mean, we're seeing that with Atlanta. He's frankly a better coach than Nate Bjorkman. I don't think that that's a hot take even slightly. Um, But I I do get like frustrated when, um, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but just in general, like whenever a Pacer loss happens or all the stuff came out last week, they're like, oh, well, I bet the Pacers regret firing Nate McMillan. I'm like, no, they don't regret firing Nate McMillan. They were, well, they're not going to say it, but they should regret not doing an extensive enough search or not, not really nailing their candidate. Um, that's where it comes down to for me. Cause I think it was time for a change. Um, but also <laughs> this is, this is not exactly the change that uh, I think they had imagined and definitely not that the fans had imagined and certainly not the players had imagined either. Um, but yeah, that, that would be where I'm at on that. But so- I, I would say too, the team would be better this year if Nate were the head coach still. So I like understand the process of how you get to Bjorkren, right? Like I, I sort of understand how you like, okay, you look at your roster, 
you look at what hasn't worked and, and sort of how you played under McMillan. And like, I think Nate McMillan's obviously a good coach and, and you know, whatever the reason was like, I, I, I understand how you go. Okay. Like at least as, as we understood it, when the hiring happened, it's like, okay, we're going to move on from McMillan. We're going to bring in a guy who's going to run stuff more a la Nick nurse. We are going to try to modernize our offense. Um, you know, you probably even knew at that point, like you're going to move off from Oladipo, just kind of how that situation was brewing. And you obviously works out to get Levert, but it's like, okay, like we're going to continue to sort of tinker. We're not going to like go all the way down. We're not going to totally pull this up. We're not going to like, you know, we, we, we can sort of from the outside speculate sort of how and why the uh, Hayward stuff kind of fell apart, but it, it did. And then you sort of, you know, roll back through bonus another year. I think you look at like how you get there as we, again, as we understood it then. And it's like, this makes sense to me. I think it all sort of unravels when it's like, you find out that like Bjorken was a bit like friends with an executive for who made the hire for a long time. And like, that's sort of how he ends up getting the job. Um, like with wow. like I you know like the, that the, that's the just parallels like the bayline are staggering right now. Well, the, the <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, there it is. There's that Chris Manning brain fart. Yeah, just brain just <laughs> brain destroyed live on on the podcast. But it's like I I understand like how you make the hire. It just seems like in Caitlin's wrote like a ton of great stuff about this. Like you you know I'll, there's you listen to Lockdown Pacers and stuff like there and, and listen to, to talking to Mark like it just seems like everything just sort of like unraveled. And then like, I, I don't, and like you obviously haven't a TJ Warren at all, which is like an extremely important piece to the team. You know, like there's just a lot of stuff that just sort of didn't break right. And then the Bjorkren thing is, it just adds to the fire as your season sort of unravels. Like you're probably going to make the playing tournament and then like lose. And then like, you got to go hire another coach again. And is it like, is it Antoni? Do you course correct and go back to McMillan's time? It, it just presents more challenges, but it's like, I, I guess, I guess it's just sort of like the reality of like, if you're going to play the middle, so to speak, if you're Indiana, like this is probably like a possible outcome that you have to be prepared for. Even if like you're hoping Bjorkern was going to like modernize the team in a way. Mark, just to ape off Chris real quick. Is it even possible for Indiana to go back to McMillan? Like I, I oh, don't no. think not, it not, is. Not saying back to McMillan. Oh, I'm, I'm saying like yeah, a McMillan. Yeah, I mean, no, like a McMillan what, type. Oh, that's what I thought you meant. I'm like, no, no, no. Like that, that, bring, that is truly Cavaliers esque. Like going back to Mike wild. Brown. Look, they could oh, hire Mike. God, Mike. Never, never forget. Well, he lasted what eight games, nine games in the second stint. Mike Brown. Yeah, he lasted an entire season. Then he was fired. Who was it that only lasted nine games? Ty got fired very shortly into a season. Um... Anyway, but like, yeah, I mean, like you could you could course correct back to that kind of coach. And like, finally, like Mike Brown would be that kind of coach and I think has ties to the Pacers in some capacity. Yeah, um, like I wouldn't do that. I would like go hire Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, I I don't know where I'm at with with everything with getting a new coach. I mean, I I, not to like cut off, but I think I will just wait uh, until I know for sure that he's going to get fired. Like, I think he's going to, and I personally, if if he isn't, I will have like some some qualms with the organization and the way that they're handling things, um, and already have, of course, because it's not just like it. If it's just basketball, it's not something I would get, you know, um, super invested in. Like, I mean, if it, of course I'm going to be invested in it because it's what I want to do. This is, you know, I take this really seriously. But hmm. I mean, to have all this scathing stuff come out about how he handles people personally that that rubs me the wrong way and that's the kind of thing where i don't think you can allow that to to go on as an organization um i mean he's basically on reporting 
like he has completely alienated himself from everyone, from players, from from the staff, from support staff who aren't even part of coaching. I mean, like you, that that just like you can be a bad coach, and I'm I'm I'll be like okay, fine, let's give you a second year and see if things change because, like you said, Chris, you're right. I mean, it's been a weird year, injuries. Um, I mean, this season is arguably weirder than last year in some regards uh, with how the pandemics affected it. But if you're just an asshole, no, I, I don't think you deserve a second chance, to be completely honest. Um, and based on reporting, that's that's kind of where we're at. And I, I, I don't know. Uh, but in terms of looking at a new coach, like it's like I, I don't think that they're going to blow up the roster. Like that's not my interpretation unless things are really bad in the locker room, um, which I don't. I mean, my read isn't that they're that level because I don't I don't think that this team is interested in tanking. Clearly, they're not. Otherwise, they would not, you know, they they would have not like you can't just find a way to lose a game against the Cavs who are down nine men. But point being, like they would be a worse team this year. They would be resting guys more um, in certain ways. Like they're, they're not trying to actively lose. That's pretty clear. Um, like if they if they were fine with doing that, they, there wouldn't be, um, you know, some of the things happening this year wouldn't be uh, happening. And, um, you know, they really wanted to get to the next level. And that's what was so weird about this year, because I think there was this idea that Nate Bjorken would come in and you would get the non-vanilla offense and have the, have a lot more going on there and not really have a drop-off defensively. Because this team was sixth in the NBA defensively last year. They were third the year before. Miles Turner was a deserving Defensive player of the year candidate uh, obviously wasn't going to finish ahead of Gobert and the injuries haven't helped that. But point being like they, they have almost the exact same roster from last year. Um, and they take this drastic of a step back. Um, I think that's something that you can't really like, I mean, you, I guess you can, but we didn't really know or understand that that was going to be the thing coming in. Like I thought with, with Bjorker coming in, maybe they would change some of the defensive principles, but my ideology was, okay, well, they'll be maybe a little bit more multiple in what they do defensively, but most importantly, they're just going to be like way better offensively and they'll be top 10 in both. Maybe there'll be a slight defensive drop off, but that's the formula for being a good team. And um, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of the spread offensive football, like especially watching big 12 games. I don't know how much you guys watch football. I'm not really into football anymore, but just like when, when it was really starting to happen in the early to mid 2010s when when the spread offense was really proliferating like all these teams who just go crazy crazy pace on offense and then their defense gets housed within you know it's not even that their defense is bad but they have to play 40 minutes of, a, of an hour-long game and it, you know maybe it's not always that drastic but point being like you just I think there's something to wearing yourself out by doing so much offensively like I think they, they got to it, it just in terms of looking at that, there's not really a way that I can track it, but in terms of like just distance traveled on offense, they have to be close to near the top in the NBA and the amount of cutting and everything that they have going on. It's not just that. I mean, they push the hell out of the ball and transition off of every miss. Um, like I know this is a really long rant, but point being like just so many things happen this year that I, I don't think you were accounted for. And some of them are tough because you can't really account for them, but um, yeah, it is a state of the Pacers is, uh, not not great, but also not like the worst. Um, but regardless, this last week has just really thrown everything up into the air in a, a way I wasn't expecting to happen this year. 
No, I totally get that. And just looking ahead now, we've already tackled the coaching situation, but largely Indiana's quote-unquote big three is going to be Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner. At least that's how it's going to be payroll-wise. Do you think the Pacers might sh- – I mean, Levert too. Levert's being paid a decent amount as well. And do you think the Pacers would shake things up a little bit, especially with like Turner and Sabonis? Because like Sabonis has looked awesome in this stretch. And I mean, he was incredible against Cleveland tonight. Like you said, he had 20-20 and then he had nine assists. So he floated with the triple-double. Um do you think the Cavs try and move on from Miles and then maybe – or not sorry, not Cavs. The Pacers try to move on from Miles and see if they can try and recoup some assets for him and maybe try and f- make Doma the focal point, maybe put like a more traditional stretch forward next to him or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just given – again, given how the year's gone, I mean, what are they now? They're 32 and, and 35, I think. Um, like this is not how they wanted the year, the year to go. They've, 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 they've talked about that and – um I mean, they have to make a move. I, I thought there was, you know, there was a, maybe enough there last year at the end of last year to, to justify breaking up the Turner's bonus combo. And they wanted to try it again with the new coaching staff. And I, I understand that. And I, I stand by that. I think that's a reasonable decision. Um, but point being, I just think we've, we've seen enough this year to know that it's, it can work against, uh, you know, lower levels to even like, you know, some of the, mid-tier teams like if you're playing Atlanta or um yeah I I mean I actually don't think that they were both healthy for the Knicks other than the first game but um when when you play the top eight teams in the NBA it just it hasn't worked um and it's really struggled and I think that's enough to to know that it's time to move on and I mean like like you mentioned with Gordon Hare they tried to move on in the offseason um and I you know they said that they were were confident still in moving forward with the two but clearly you know, the, the moves speak a little bit louder than, than the press conference to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, yeah, I, I think that the Turner Sabonis pairing, if they're still together at the beginning of next year, I'd be pretty surprised. Chris, do you have any other questions about the state of the Pacers? I would like to wonder if there's like a draft night thing where like a team is like, Hey, we'll take miles Turner and like, well, you can move up in the lottery or something that that's where that's where I would like wonder if that's like the swing point for them. That'd be interesting because I thought a lot about like this this year for to me is really important for them because like they do have a really good core when they're all healthy, um, which is a, a thing that I feel like I you know I'm saying every year um, that is just the way that things work. Unfortunately, they have a lot of guys who are kind of injury prone, and that's been a factor. Um, but this is like the opportunity you you can get a a really good player. They haven't drafted in the lottery since Miles Turner himself in 2015. Um, this is a real opportunity to add a young player to the group who can like, you know, contribute now, maybe in a smaller capacity, but also like on a rookie scale deal, be a real contributor in two or three years. Um, and that, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that makes it a kind of makes or breaks a a contention window, whatever you're contending for. Um, so I'm excited for that and to see how that might work. And especially with how this draft is too, as I've like dove in a lot more, like the sheer difference of who you're drafting between, you know, five and eight compared to if you're down at, let's say if, if they get unlucky with the lottery and they end up with like the 14th pick or something like that's a huge difference. Um, so yeah, I think that that's something that certainly is in play and I, I'm excited for that. Um, I mean, we'll have to do some draft talk eventually later on mm-hmm. uh, this, this summer or something because I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I think we all are. Evan, let's talk about the Cavs. You're up. Um, 
I mean, boy, what's there to talk about? This this team's on a slow death march to finish out their season. I don't think they win another game. Um, there is some meaningful basketball to be. I know Jalen Brown is out for the season with a wrist injury, which is a huge bummer. Which sucks. Yeah. yeah. Big time. And they play Boston Wednesday for the last home game of the season. Then they're in Washington Friday, and Russell Westbrook had a 2020 game with points and assists and almost beat the Hawks tonight. And then they wrap up the season Sunday, May 16th in Brooklyn. I don't think the time's been officially announced yet, but the, the game started at noon because all there's going to be 15 games with all 30 teams on Sunday. It, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm not a fantasy basketball guy, but I feel for those who might have some implications on Sunday. So um, I don't know, man. I, Mark, how do you feel about the current state of the Cavs? Like they're such a weird team. Like, I my biggest gripe is I wish they could just be a bad team that could be qu- be quietly going on about their business and just slowly finish this season. They've lost eleven in a row at this point and likely going to lose fourteen in a row to finish the season. Like I, all the extracurriculars are just so tiring to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, what's so weird about the season too? I think this, like the first twenty twenty five games, was the best I felt about the Cavs. Um, from just an outsider's perspective. In, it's weirdly enough when in, Andre Drummond was trying to. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, like I wrote about that in the piece earlier this year. Like that was the best I felt about the Cavs in, in forever. And then the Jared Allen trade happens in a couple games after, you know, that that goes downhill. And there, I mean, you know, we, we've hashed that out on pod before. Um, but point being like, this has just felt like completely different seasons because after Drummond gets traded, um, and that drama's over. The team looks kind of okay again. And then they've dealt with injuries and everything's happened with Kevin Love that, you know, whether or not it's been overblown or overhyped or just whatever, it's been, it's been there. And it's it, you, when you're like, you just mentioned, when you're a team that is, you know, lottery bound, you shouldn't be getting this kind of uh, like the, the amount of negative coverage that's coming up for a, a lottery team is like, it's, I don't I want to say it's troubling, but it's like, it's bothersome. Like, why can't we just do something normally when we're tanking or, or not even tanking, but just trying to build into being a better team? Um, that, 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 I mean, it's frustrating. I think this is like sneak, like, I, I think this team is still figuring itself out, but I think this offseason is sneakily important for them in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the Jared, whatever kind of contract Jared Allen ends up with will matter to future cap space. Like, what happens with Kevin Love is going to matter the Sexton extension is going to matter. Like the draft pick is going to matter. There's just a lot of pivotal things that you're sort of um, going with. And also just like, look like, you know, I don't, I don't expect like leadership changes. So it'll be interesting to see like how much of a leash do Altman and like Altman and Bickerstaff could be making and Altman in particular could be making these very pivotal decisions for the franchise. Like, do they, does, do they get leeway beyond another year? Like, I mean, historically, the Cavs have not been an especially patient organization. Um, I mean, are, are they going to, like, what is, the, what is the runway for them sort of look like? There's a lot we just, I think, don't quite understand about what they're hoping to accomplish in the next, you know, year or so, um, in, into two years. Like, I don't think this team's got, like, a title hope in, in the near future, but, I, you know, do they want to get into the play next year? Do they want to be a more solid playoff team? Like, how aggressive are they going to be I think these are like open fair questions and, and there's a lot of like eye the beholder stuff for the roster. Um, there's just a lot. I feel like we do not understand about what sort of the, the plan is and how they're going to approach some stuff. And I think as Mark, you said earlier, I think very astutely, like 
the moves ultimately will tell you more than than any press conference. Like like GMs and coaches are going to lie their ass off because they're not going to disclose their exact plans and through through press conferences or whatever. Um, at least, and then maybe they'll offer more insight after the fact or whatever. But like, you know, you're gonna the moves and and what they do with those kinds of things will will indicate more than anything else. I, again, I just think this offseason is going to tell us a lot about what the Cavs sort of think they are. And and it wouldn't shock me if you had like some significant roster turnover, so to speak. Well, I guess just some Cavs news we didn't really touch upon at the top here. Lindsey Gottlieb is going to Southern Cal to become the next head coach of their program for the women's program for the next six seasons. And then there's an open spot on J.B. Bickerstaff's uh, bench. Do you think the Cavs kind of go out there and maybe find him a lead assistant? Maybe they try and tap Kenny Atkinson to make him his lead assistant because I know there's talks about just like I don't know. It's it is it's 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 interesting to me to see who like JV taps to be like his interim head coach in like situations when he was away from the team and everything. But like, do they maybe go for Jordy Fernandez and try and like bring him up, or do they go get like a Kenny Atkinson out of LA and kind of make him like the associate head coach? Uh, you know, maybe as a little bit of a leash, just kind of similar to um, what the Hawks did this year with McMillan. And um, or do they go get like Brett Brown? They get like a retired who's just sitting around who has player development experience. Like, I don't know. What do you think the Cavs should do there? Do you think they should fill the space or do you think they should go with another progressive hire like they did with Gottlieb? Oh, that's a, I mean, first of all, uh, congrats to Lindsay because that's awesome. I've, I mean, I listened to she, you, she came on your guys' pod a while back. Yeah, um, and I remember like I really enjoyed that episode. And, I've heard and, her interviewed a couple other times. Yeah, and she's it, to phenomenal. be clear, she she is very well thought of and like yeah. very well regarded in the organization. Oh, yeah, um, this is a this is a big loss for the Cavs. It, it's again like the Kobe Altman statement was like how is not how an actual human being speaks, but like <laughs> the the sentiment was was I think accurate. Um, and she's she's very hands on with with a lot of different players. I mean. She worked a lot with Kevin Porter Jr. She's done a lot of work with Darius Garland. Like she's she's a really good coach, and um, this is this is a, a brain drain loss. This is for sure something that is going to, um, you know, I think offer. I, I would I would love to know. This is like a whole other segue that I don't want to go down that hole. But like I, I think it'd be interesting to know like what her sort of experience has been like, and you know, two years in the league and then back to college. And I wonder like how sort of some of this played out for and what her experience was kind of like how this played out. But I, I, I personally, I think if you could get another like more inventive offensive guy to pair with JB as to JB to kind of be like the personality manager as your head coach, I don't think that's a bad way to go because it does seem like personality management and that kind of work is so important at being a successful, successful head coach. Now, um, if you could get like a really good assistant, to like you know it, whatever like the, maybe there's like another Chris Finch type out there that hasn't been a head coach like Jordy Fernandez is maybe that guy um, you know is there someone that in the organization you could empower more to do that stuff whether it's like a JJ outlaw I mean is there another is there another like female coach that you want to throw like that you know you're obviously not going to get like an Ada Barnes or, or anyone like that but like could you is there someone of, of that ilk that you could bring in and, and have them do some stuff you want to go and make another kind of progressive hire and be um, a more welcome organization. I don't think that's like a bad, I think you should explore every Avenue because I do think that's the kind of support system. If you want to support JB, it's not just going to be the players. It's I think finding someone that can help them kind of modernize the offense in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, I totally agree with that. Oh, sorry. I mean, cut you off. No, no, you're, you're good, Mark. Go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, I just, to that, like I would say too, uh, because I really have liked JB from the, just being a, being a coach, you know, like not just in, 
Um, like that, uh, that's a very broad way to paint it, but just in terms of like, uh, it feels like given how, and this is just my read and you guys can correct me on it if you feel differently, but I mean, I feel like he's handled a, a, this season as well as you can in terms of, you know, being a coach off the court and, um, you know, handling the locker room. Oh yeah. And just given JB, how, how he never signed up for this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, just given everything that I know from him in Memphis and, and, and background, like great dude. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed hearing him speak and seeing him in pressers. Um, he just seems really genuine, but like point being, like you mentioned, Chris, like I do think, um, I mean, I, I've mentioned this to you guys as well, just from watching and I, in talking to some other guys who are analysts around the league, like the Cavs offense might be the least, uh, innovative and modern offense in the NBA. And that's a problem. Like this offense should be even just this year. I know that the, the, there have been issues with injuries. The talent isn't you know phenomenal, but when you have Colin and Darius and when Larry was healthy um, and Jared Allen as a screener, like you have to get more out of them than the 27th ranked offense in the NBA, because they weren't much higher than that, even when they were performing well at the beginning of the year. Um, like, I mean, we were just joking earlier on, like there really aren't second side actions that often, like there isn't a lot of stuff going on off ball. And this is a lot of the problems that came up under Nate McMillan. Like Nate McMillan was great at, um, at having a good system that worked defensively and just being well-prepared for every game. But with just the way that everything's going, you 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 got to get more out of the team offensively because right now they're not on track to be a team that is elite defensively. Like they could be good, but I don't know if they're going to be at a level where it can counteract being, you know, that poor offensively. So one of the things that I think is really interesting to consider about Jared Allen that I haven't had a chance to like dive into yet in terms of film and, and numbers yet, just because of how Blitzkrieg the schedule has sort of been, is like. Jared Allen's like one of the things that has changed for him. And I think that has made his life harder is that he's not like in Brooklyn, even before this season and in, in years past, he was getting so many of his shots right at the rim. Mm-hmm. Like he was getting a lot of dunks, a lot of like easy shots right at the rim with the Cavs. He's still like shooting a pretty good percentage, but his shot profile has been bumped back to not a, like a little less at the rim and then more like in the short mid. So he's having to take some floaters, more contested shots. Like his shot died has become harder. And like, that's not maximizing what Jared Allen is. Um, you got, I think that has to be like figured out in some way. I don't know what the root cause of that is. Like some of it has to is surely spacing issues. Some of that is, you know, the lack of like guys that teams respect and everything in terms of when Kevin Love is out and because Kevin Love for all of the warts, like still draws like, a lot of attention from defenses like there are just real concerns there that I don't know quite how to figure out um but like that that that's like one of those things where it's like this isn't working as well as you sort of I think hope it would be based on that it maybe the Cavs like would have like a pushback on that but like is what it is yeah yeah definitely and I I think ultimately I would go towards I mean most importantly just hire the best coach available whoever it is um and go from there. But I do think there is something to having somebody who is more of a, who can control more of the offense or at least handle more of the offense uh, because it just hasn't been great this year. No, it really hasn't. But Chris, I think that's going to have to do it for us. We don't want to, we don't upset our sponsors or our, well, you know what we're, we're, we're vibing. We're vibing with Mark. Um, Mark, I want to ask you this. If I want to ask you both, this is just a wrap up. If you were, if someone was insane enough to like give you the the keys to one of these franchises, oh boy, and you got to like start from one of these points and you had no interference, right? And which is like never going to happen. 
which w- would you rather start from where Indiana is at, where it's sort of like a more formed piece and in, in thing in the middle, or where the Cavs are at, where it's still relatively a blank slate that you could hit the eject button on a little earlier if you wanted to on certain things? Ooh. Um, so like you're saying that I'm coming in as like a new GM or yeah, you're, you're the new president of basketball operations. You're here to cheat. You're here to get to maximize these teams and, and get the teams as high as possible. W- would you rather start from where Indiana is with like the, with the older, but more established, better pieces. And would you have rather have, or would you rather have the Cavs where it's like a lot of young guys and it's more, relatively more of a blank canvas. Wow. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I mean, I think in some regards, if you take Indiana, like I really do think Indiana is a team that if they can iron out everything coaching wise and in the locker room, uh, which again, I don't know how, how bad things are in the locker room. I don't think it's, it's necessarily, you know, anything like groundbreaking, but point being like, if they can iron that out and get everyone on the same page and make one or two tweaks this off season, I do think that's a team that could be um, like, you know, a second round plus team moving forward. Um, but also with the Cavs, like to me as a person, like that's really intriguing to me. The idea, like, I, I mean, I've talked about Colin Sexton is a really talented player. You could make the argument that Darius maybe has a higher upside and I wouldn't fight you on that. Um, and more importantly, they're going to have a really good draft pick and a good draft. I like Jared Allen. He's young. Um, Larry Nance is just a, a good, good vet to have around. Again, that's not something you're building around, but um I just like that he's there. Uh, Isaac Okoro, I'm really intrigued with, especially as the season goes on. Like, yeah, I think I would be really interested in in being with the Cavs and and seeing what you can make happen there because a lot of it's going to be riding on you. Um, And I I don't know. To me, that's exciting. I I like the idea of, like, getting to build something from scratch and go from there. So I think I would pick the Cavs, even though I do think the Pacers are going to be – um, saying relevant, I don't like saying relevant. Like, I just think in terms of like going farther in the playoffs, they're closer to that right now than the Cavs are for sure. But um, I don't know. I think the Cavs have a much brighter future than I ever thought they did uh, post LeBron uh, the first time, I should say. I, I think I'd pick the Pacers, but I, maybe we need a little bit more of your optimism on the uh, Dower lock. I, I, I have I been told multiple times by multiple fan bases and people who cover the league that I'm way too optimistic about things, but that's that's just who I am, man. I, I like finding the small things that are fun to root for. Hey, that's all that matters, though, at the end of the day, as long as you're having fun, right? Exactly. I think, just for the record, I would pick the Cavs, but if I could turn, if I could flip, tur- if I could flip Turner into a really high pick, if I could get one, if I knew that I could do that, then... I'd probably be more in- intrigued with with the Pacers if I could like if like New World like New Orleans isn't the right example because they have like the Stephen Adams contract. But if they were like, hey, we, we're like six in the lottery, we'll trade you your twelfth pick for for six, right? Like I would I would do something like that probably. Yeah, I could see yeah, that. I'd explore that. And then you take a swing and like whether it's like Josh Giddy or whomever, like or I am Scotty not Barnes. taking Josh Giddy at six. That is okay, like okay, Scotty Barnes, sure. yeah. if Kuminga falls to six, like I'm swinging for the fences if I'm Indiana. Yeah. And that then I'm like, we're we're because you have the infrastructure to like be patient with a high pick. Yeah, no, and the definitely. Dra- and, the, and like the, the draft has to change for them at some point, right? Like it has been stinky for years. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to make any excuses with that. The uh, when they draft in the lottery, it's been good. When they do not draft in the lottery, it's been pretty hit or miss. So, 
Um, yeah, they, they really need to hit on this pick this year. Extremely, extremely important. All right, that is going to be it. Thanks again for if you're listening on the Lockdown Cast feed for tuning in. Uh, thanks for listening on the New Corner feed for tuning in there. We'll both be back with more podcasts in the very near future. Uh, one about a good basketball team ish, good ish. I don't know if I'm going to call them good, man. Play uh, in tournament hey, yeah. quality basketball team and yes. one team hang, that hang the banner now. <laughs> that and one team, Evan, that we did that mention at the top once playing tournament quality. Well, and said a new has a new season long uh, loss losing streak at 11 at 11 in a row after Monday. Don't worry, Chris Colin Sexton avenged uh, the Toronto Raptors, not shaking his hand or some crap like that by knocking <laughs> the Raptors out of the playoffs. Okay. I, 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 I rolled my eyes so hard. It'd be detached my retinas, but Mark, tell everyone at home where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at M Schindler NBA on Twitter. Uh, you can find my work at premiumhoops.org and also at, over at indiecornrows.com and occasionally at Fear the Sword. I'm planning on writing something within the next week or two for, for FTS, so uh, be looking for that. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. I always enjoy talking. Like You guys are two of my favorite people to, to just Aww. hang out with. And once the, once the pandemic is like not a pandemic anymore and it's regular life outside, I'm looking forward to actually hanging out and having some uh, pizza that hopefully isn't made of rice and spinach, but uh, oh, yeah. I forgot to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Real quick, Mark. Oh yeah. What, what's up with this pizza? So me and Caitlin Cooper do a monthly podcast called two questions to ah, and uh, it's a reference to Pacers lawyer. And um, for whatever reason, I guess Caitlin and I have really weird food takes. I've been told uh, that I have, uh, weird food takes. We don't have to dissect that right now. Um, but <laughs> that's just saving myself. But uh, yeah, we had this one listener send in a really wild recipe that I thought was joking at first, but he was completely serious. So now uh, because it is the final regular season edition of two questions to out tomorrow, Caitlin and I are simultaneously making this uh, pizza concoction thing and uh, live reviewing it, and I'm I'm a little bit frightened for my life. The ingredients are sitting on my uh, kitchen island, just kind of staring at me, uh, and I'm not excited about it. Um, but uh, hashtag for the culture, man. So I got to do it. I'm looking forward to to that, but not looking forward to uh, what it's going to taste like. Well, if you guys want to see Mark gross himself out, go check. I'm going out. to I'm going to post progress pictures on Twitter. I'm uh, I'm very excited for for that aspect of it yeah. to have you all live through it with me. But I'm not excited to actually eat it. So, so yeah. for by all means, go give Mark a follow. It's it's uh, great Pacers coverage, great NBA coverage. Um, also just some there questionable are- food takes, but you're going to watch him yeah, suffer. But- yeah. See, the whole goal is I, I throw out the really terrible food and fashion takes just to, to up my it makes my NBA coverage look even better. Because if you hate everything else that I'm posting, then you're just bound to like everything else. So look, the socks thing, it's like that's, I, that's like, the Evan Damerell approach. I, I respect it. Except I don't I don't go quite that far. We, no, we Ev, do it Ev, opposite way. Evan, Evan, Evan uh, had based Evan like wrote two really good blog posts that were just sort of like, guys, uh, this has been a bit. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I wish people would actually read things, but, you know. Whatevs. Whatevs, man. Internet. What a dumb place. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if Mark doesn't have a podcast again because of the pizza, I'm super sorry for that. Talk to you all soon.